Well, it is my privilege to you to uh, for uh, today to turn to uh, the Gospel of Luke and share with you this very familiar story. But I want to do so as we turn to uh, uh, this and, and ask God to give us fresh eyes and maybe some fresh insight into this word. I'm going to invite you to stand as we turn to Luke chapter 2. We're going to begin here with verse 8, and uh, then we're going to read down through verse 16. Would you just pray this prayer as an affirmation that this is God's word today? Lord, this is your word to me today. May it be a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Help me to hide this word in my heart that I might not sin against you. May I pray it in, read it through, live it out, and pass it on. Amen. Amen. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby keeping watch over their flocks at night an angel of the Lord appeared to them and the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were terrified but the angel said to them do not be afraid I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people today in the town of David a savior has been born to you he is Messiah the Lord this will be a sign to you you will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger Suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel praising God and saying glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven the shepherds said to one another let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened which the Lord has told us about. May God add his blessing to that word. You can be seated. I'm always kind of amazed and how much yet the Lord wants to do in me. Just this morning, I had the uh, some, some worship Christmas music on, heading into church, getting ready to preach, trying to, to get in the spirit in a sense. And I'm on Lear Nagel, and wouldn't you know it, it's a little bit foggy, but not foggy enough that the person couldn't see me. They, the, I'm just coming up to one of the roads there, and he pulls, starts pulling out just as I'm going out, ready to hit me. I honk my horn, and I say some choice words, and then I go right back as if nothing had happened singing of the grace and the peace and the wonder of Christmas, you know? Does anyone else do that? How easily it is to just kind of slip into one world or into another. I, I, I wonder sometimes. Lord, take those words and get them into me. And I really want to use that as a picture of what I hope to do during this Advent season. As we talk about the Christmas carols that we know and love you uh you know over the next few weeks millions of people are going to hear the gospel message and it's not going to be just in churches well christmas music undoubtedly has become more and more secular a great deal of it lays out very clearly the plan of god to save the world through his son jesus christ you know the reality is you can still go to walmart and your silent night played or joy to the world or we three kings in the malls piped in over the speakers one of my favorites more contemporary is uh, faith hills a baby changes everything I, I really enjoy listening to that and thinking it through but of course listening or, or actually hearing the words does not necessarily mean we're we're listening to them it doesn't necessarily mean that it's getting into us 
During this Advent season, I would like us to take a look at the message contained in some of the Christmas carols that we know and love. Now, we, we, we may have grown up with them. We've sung them for years. Many of us know them by heart. But I wonder how many of us really consider the impact of the biblical truth that they convey. I, I would like for the songs that we're going to look like look at to become more than just a, a kind of an atmosphere setting, fuzzy feeling, kind of an emotional experience. But instead, I'd like them to reaffirm our faith in what we believe as a church and help us to understand some important doctrines of our faith. <clears throat> and so, excuse me, our song for the morning is Hark the Herald, Angel Sings. Now, I want to give you some background of this this uh, carol. Charles Wesley wrote this song in 1737. Wesley was the youngest of 18 children. Now, only 11 of those children survived. It was that kind of an era, but his mother, Susanna, saturated each of her kids in the scripture. You have probably also heard of her of heard of Charles' brother, John Wesley, who was a great preacher, a brilliant theologian, and of course the founder of the Methodist Church. Well, Charles was a preacher too, but he was best known for writing over 6,000 hymns. And so if you like to sing an old hymn like, and can it be, or Christ the Lord is risen today, or oh, for a thousand tongues to sing. All those can be credited to Wesley. So he was an important hymn writer. The melody, however, to this song was written a hundred years later by Felix Mendelssohn. Mendelssohn wrote this tune to honor John Gutenberg, the famous Bible printer. But William Cummings had the idea that he combined the tune for Gutenberg with the words of Wesley, and this song as we know it was born. But it's the words that I really want us to tackle this morning. The, the first stanza begins primarily about and focuses on how it was that the birth of Jesus was announced. Hark, the herald angel sings. Glory to the newborn king. Peace on earth and mercy mild, God and sinners reconciled. Now, obviously, Wesley here is recounting the events of Luke 2. We've just read. The night Jesus was born, an angel appeared suddenly to a group of sleepy shepherds. And I want us to just stop right there. And, and for a moment, in your mind's eye, I want you to imagine what that must have felt like and looked like if if you were an angel the announcement of God's birth to the world must have seemed vastly understated do you think never before had such an event ever occurred and the only people that were actually going to hear about it are sleepy no-name shepherds I mean I think about when my first son was born Caleb I was a proud, proud papa. 
He was born on a Monday, but I made sure he was in church the very next Sunday. And he was here, and I, was, uh, I brought him back, uh, up to the platform here and showed him off, and everybody got to ooh and awe. Ah, and, you know, it was just one of those events that you had to appreciate a beautiful boy like that. There's something natural, isn't there, about parents wanting to celebrate and share their great and glorious news. Everyone loves a baby. Now, we can be honest here. They, they all pretty much look the same, I suspect. I mean, they all look like Winston Churchill, if we're really honest. But, but the safe arrival of a baby, especially your baby, well, that's a big deal. Now, if you were God and you had all his resources at your disposal, how would you have announced the birth of your son? Well, if it was me, I think there, there would have been thunder over Bethlehem with fireworks and brilliant lighting and earth shaking and volcanoes erupting and meteor showers and on and on. And yes, lots and lots of angels, but it would be announcing to the whole world that he had come, but not God. Sometimes we don't talk enough about the humility of God. He chose to announce the birth of his son by an angel, angel quietly slipping up on a few farmhands on a nearby hillside. The Lamb of God to some shepherds. That's pretty constrained if you think about it compared to what he could have done. But then, almost as if they couldn't contain themselves, it says in verse 13, then the whole heavenly hosts join together and break forth. Verse 13 again says, uh, suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. I don't know how many angels must have filled that night sky. I do know this, that when Jesus went to the cross, he said, I could call 12 legions of angels if I wanted to protect myself. So, so we know that I suspect there were a myriad thousands of angels there illuminating the darkness. And again, spectacular, yes, for that moment. But for what? Maybe, maybe there were 10 shepherds there at most. Maybe 10 shepherds and who knows how many dozen sheep. Not a big deal. Years ago, I was asked to do a seminar for a church. Uh, I was told there'd probably be about 30, 40 people there that will come out, and uh, I must have put 25 hours of preparation into that seminar. However, it uh, snowed that particular Saturday, or at least that's what I'm trying to believe, and only two people showed up. That tells you about the power of my draw. You know, people hear I'm speaking, and eh, we'll, we'll get to it next time or something like that. But nevertheless, I was disappointed. I was a little frustrated all that time, all that effort, and it just didn't quite work out the way I thought. You know, it occurs to me, I wonder what the angels thought. I wonder what they said when they beamed back up to heaven. Well, that wasn't quite what I expected, 
all those rehearsals all that time no one shows up except a few shepherds and some sheep do you do you think we got the right place Or did they say, you know, isn't it just like God? Isn't it, isn't it just like God for him to go all out for just a few shepherds? Isn't it just like him for his son to be born in a stable, in a manger? And the only people who are in on the, the wonder are some sleepy shepherds in the darkness on a nearby hillside. Isn't it just like him? By the way, when uh, Charles Wesley first wrote this song, interesting, the opening line didn't even mention angels. The original text said it was, Hark how the welkin rings, glory to the king of kings. Now, does anybody know what a welkin is? Well, that was the problem. No one knew what a welkin was. Welkin is an old English word meaning the vault of heaven. That's how it was sung for the first few years. But, but George Whitfield, who was a classmate of Wesley's, got a hold of this song, and he said, you know, something's missing, and we need to change it. So Whitfield, you know, he was a great preacher unto himself. He was charismatic not as educated as Wesley but he thought you know it's going to sound better it's going to look better it's going to paint a better picture for people if we change it hark the herald angel sings it's going to be a better story <clears throat> problem was he did it without asking Wesley and his phrasing became more popular and it irked Wesley to no end he got angry and Wesley said listen it's not even biblically sound the Bible didn't say the angel sang at the birth of Christ. It reads, they were praising God and saying what they said. And so as long as he lived, Wesley never sang Whitfield's version. Have you ever, you know, even today, we, we always have to play around with the words. And it kind of irks me. Imagine if it's your song, you want it sung your way. Well, here Wesley had an issue. And so the man who wrote, God and sinners reconciled, found a way not to be reconciled over a silly, silly song. Now, if that doesn't tell you how God uses imperfect people to do his bidding, then nothing will. But, but that's, that's the story. Every man in this room, every man ever born, every person is a sinner in need of a Savior. Now, one of the great messages, one of the great truths that this carol conveys is this one. Join the triumph of the skies with angelic hosts proclaim Christ is born in Bethlehem. Now, I've mentioned to you, Jesus wasn't given as much attention as he deserved at his birth. But when we sing this carol, something happens. We are to join in. We are invited to join in the celebration, join in on the triumph, because we know how and why he came. 
And so when the shepherds heard this good news, they wanted to immediately go to Bethlehem and see this thing for themselves, what God had done. And when we hear this story, we ought to be compelled also to go and find Jesus. We ought to search for him until we found him. We ought to be able to join in this triumph and celebration. And so I ask every one of you this morning, is Christmas just a story to you or is it a reality to you? Is it what you have come to know personally? Because there is a coming a day, isn't there? When the, the veil will be rolled back and all of creation will shout his praise and every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. But we can join in on the celebration right now and that's why we're here. And I hope that's a reality to every one of us. The triumph. Let's make sure we sing it and join in it out loud. Now, the second stanza, well, the second stanza tends to focus on who Jesus is. Christ, by highest heaven adored. Christ, the everlasting Lord. Late in time, behold him come, offspring of a virgin's womb. Veiled in flesh, the Godhead see. Hail, the incarnate deity, pleased as man with men to dwell, Jesus our Emmanuel. You know, one of the reasons I, I, really, I really struggle with losing some of our hymnody, in other words, we don't sing some of the hymns as often, is because they teach. Amen, right? Okay, grace, grace. Is, is they teach such foundational doctrine of our church where we understand, okay, this is who we are. This is what we believe, and we, we sing it because when we sing it, we know it, and it becomes a part of us. Our, our faith is not just based on emotion and fuzzy feelings and making us feel good and having the right beat and the bass all. It's not just about feeling. It's about what we know to be true about reality. And so sometimes when I ask people, why is it you came to Friends Church? Uh, very often they'll say, well, I, 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 I felt good. I, I felt the presence of God there. And I think that's great and wonderful. Don't misunderstand me. Being a Christian involves the heart. Being a Christian involves our emotion, everything about us. But the foundation of our faith is what we believe about Jesus. Paul urged the, the Christians in Thessalonica, he said, stand firm and hold on to the teachings we passed on to you. Someone said, it's fact faith, and then feeling. And what he meant by that was this. There are facts that we believe, and based on those facts, we, we, we express our faith by doing, and then we have feelings that come as a result of that because we are enjoying his presence and enjoying the glory of knowing who he is. Now, the reality is, when we invert that sequence or we base everything on feelings, we end up with a rather shallow faith. You see, romance is really important in marriage. Romance is a good thing. But if your marriage is simply based on romance, and there are a lot of people that can testify to this, if your marriage is simply based on feelings alone, it's not going to stand the test. 
No, a marriage is based on truth, commitment, what's real. Now, the Christian life is like that too. Yes, it involves the heart and feelings, but when you come to a point where you're facing disappointment, when you come to a point where you are faced with an intellectual challenge or some kind of persecution or hardship and just the daily routine of life, it can erode those warm feelings we have. And we wonder, well, why? Why am I feeling this? Why am I feeling so down? Why am I feeling so depressed? If your faith doesn't have a basis in truth, you're in danger of getting swept away. That's why I love a carol like this. It teaches us the basics about who Jesus is. For one, it, it teaches us his deity. Christ, the everlasting Lord. He was everlasting to everlasting. You see, you and I had a beginning, but Jesus Christ was from before time began. He said, in fact, before Abraham was, I am. It teaches the virgin birth. Now, I know that there are a lot of modern-day people who will scoff at the idea of the virgin birth, but quite honestly, I've never had any trouble believing it. Why? Because I believe the first verse of the Bible. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. If he is powerful enough to do that, the virgin birth is certainly not beyond what he can do. Veiled in flesh, the Godhead see. He came, God. And he became a man. Wesley's Christmas carol reminds us here of the humanity of Jesus. He is God, incarnate. Pleased as man with men to dwell, Jesus our Emmanuel. Emmanuel, of course, means God with us. Philippians 2 says he was equal with God, but he did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped but he emptied himself and he became a man. In fact, he became more than a man. He became a servant, a servant of men. So Jesus didn't just come to earth and he didn't just come as a man. He didn't come as a pomp, pampered monarch like, you know, King Charles on a throne. You know, the, uh, a few months back I was reading, you know, as he ascended to the throne, Charles uh, is, is, as king has his toothpaste drawn for him every morning on his toothbrush kind of weird but you know that's that's royalty I guess Jesus wasn't like that was he no one of the things I guess again I go back to Malawi and you'll probably get tired of me talking about Malawi my apologies but being in that village in those little huts mud huts I'll never forget her name was Beatrice and she invited us into her little home. Three rooms. One was really, I think, just a storage room where she kept a few items. The other was a bedroom. It, it could have been larger than a third of this platform. Uh, the, whole, the whole house. Uh, one room was a bedroom. Five people, as I understood it, slept there. And then a living room. Now you, again, we're talking mud talking you could see the sunlight coming through the roof 
So when it rained, I'm sure everything got wet. But it so struck me as I'm in this dark place on the wall, on both sides of the wall of her living room in chalk, she had those letters written, these words, God is with us all the time. God is with us all the time. You know, when Jesus came, his world was much more like that world than even mine. That's how much he loved us, you and me. He was God and man, man and God, perfectly, wholly, completely. There's a song that reads, He was so much a man that he slept in a boat, but he was so much God that the wind ceased when he spoke. He was so much a man that he wept when Lazarus died, so much God that Lazarus came forth when he cried. He was so much a man that he died upon a tree, but so much God that he rose again in victory. God and sinners reconciled because of his life. He was the one who reconciled us to God by his life, his death, his resurrection. And with his resurrection, Wesley cries out, there's healing in his wings. I was so grateful I could say and remind Leon, Naomi's father, yesterday that there is a resurrection coming, a great reunion ahead, and through his tears he said amen and hallelujah. Now, that third stanza focuses on what Jesus does. It says he brings light and life. He brings victory over death but don't miss this. Mild, he lays his glory by. Born that man no more may die. Born to raise the sons of earth. Born to give them second birth. You'll remember that Jesus told Nicodemus, I tell you the truth, no one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. Have you been born again? Christ was born so that you could be born again. I heard someone once say, if you're born once, you'll die twice. But if you're born twice, you only die once. You see, death is primarily separation. Physical death is the, the, the separation of, of the body from the spirit. The spirit is absent from the body, but the Bible warns that there is a second death, the separation of the spirit from God for eternity. Christians don't have to face that death. If you're born a, a natural man, you will die physically and spiritually. But if you are born again in God's spirit, you are given a new nature. You are a new creation. You will stand before God intact, in innocence, because the debt of your sin was paid by Jesus Christ on the cross. And you will die physically, but you will spend eternity alive forevermore with God and never have to experience that second death 
Born once, die twice. Born twice, die once. You see, Jesus conquers the grave, and he gives us this hope. Only he can give you a new birth. Only he can say, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. That's our hope and our promise, and that's why this is good news. So what do we end up with? I just want to remind you how this song begins. Hark. Hark. It means pay attention. Listen up. Something important has happened. This really matters. And if it is true, it is the most important matter you will ever hear about. Don't miss this. Hark. Jesus often said himself, he who has ears to hear, listen. But there's another important word here too. Hail. Hail. Means to acclaim, to salute, to acknowledge. Hail. Romans 10.9 says, if you confess with your mouth and you believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord and God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. The light, the life, the healing and eternity offered by Christ can be yours by hailing him as the one that you trust. The King of kings and the Lord of lords, your personal savior because he cares about you. And so this season, my prayer is simple. I pray that people will come to Jesus, that Christmas will not just be a story they tell, but it will become their story, that the Christ who was born in Bethlehem will be born in them, and they will be born again and say, Jesus is my King, Jesus is my Lord. I hail him as the Lord of my life. And this morning, maybe this is your day. Maybe the Lord is gently knocking on your heart and he's saying, it's time. I've been waiting for you and I want this day to be our day. If so, would you give him glory by inviting him to come in? Hark! The angel sings. I'm not the angel. The Holy Spirit is here and he's working and maybe he's calling you to say, it's time. Let's make a decision and be born again so that Christmas isn't just a story to be talked about. It's a reality in my life. Let's pray together. Father, I, I thank you that in this place your spirit works and you can use a, a hymn written so long ago to reinforce for us the gospel message that was written 2,000 years ago but not just written but became a reality as you came to this earth and changed the world forever and you changed the world by changing us Lord would you change me Lord maybe someone is in this room and they have, they're not sure they're not sure they've been born again. I pray they would walk out of here. Every one of us would walk out of here knowing 
that we've confessed our sin, we believe in our heart, we've confessed Jesus Christ as the Lord and our Savior, and we promise and hail him as our King. Lord, you promised you would save us. You came for that very purpose. We don't have to doubt it. Lord, I pray that someone here, one, two, maybe a dozen or more, that they would walk out of here knowing they've stepped into the kingdom of grace. I pray, Lord, for those of us who maybe know you, we've walked with you, we've been born again, but the, the age, the times we live in, the disappointments we face, the rejection we felt, the doubts that we bear, that we would see this Christmas story and be reminded that, Lord, Israel waited for so long. And sometimes you wait. When Lazarus was sick and you got word inexplicably, the scripture says you waited two days before you came and made your way to Bethany. I don't know why you always wait. But I suspect, Lord, you wait because you're patient. Because you're coming again. And next time, it won't be in the, the silence and humility of a manger and a stable. But it will be with a trumpet and a loud cry. And you will declare time to be over. Lord, when that day comes, are we ready? Lord, help us to live in that light that you are the King of kings and the Lord of lords. May we walk in a fresh light today through this Advent season, waiting with expectation. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. If God